0: and welcome to against the law the ancient history podcast that aims to shoot down villainous misconceptions from the past if you hear this noise that's the sound of the against the law gavel bashing naughty mistruths from the history books did anyone follow you no good you're probably wondering why i've gathered you here today first let me introduce our co-conspirators here we have Senia, uh, with a lethal compendium of knowledge about the ancient Romans. I'm hoping she'll be able to provide some decent intel for my little problem. We also have Meg, who knows all about the ancient Greeks. But if she told you, I'm afraid she'd have to kill you, which might come in handy. Prepare to be blown away by Barney's knowledge of the ancient East. I'm hoping he has some killer facts for us to learn today. And me? Well, I'm Flo. I'm not a historian or a trained assassin, but I need help today to plot a very sticky end for a traitor and a madman I need taken care of. His name is Pyrrhus Margon, and he's the most abhorrent character you could ever wish to meet. He's published many dangerous ideologies. He uses his power for evil. He's been banished from his homeland off-con for his dangerous remarks. And now he's here, and he's been making my life and your lives a misery. Okay, so obviously uh, I-, I need this guy taken care of, and I have gathered you here so I can get some inspiration for a uh, well, it's an assassination plot. <gasps> I know, I know. I thought I thought you'd all have some experience, some knowledge that you could share with me, but we really need this Pyrrhus Margon guy taking down. He's a joke. First things first. Uh, assassination plots i mean where does the word assassin come from because i heard uh on the grapevine that assassin comes from hash hasheen is that is that real is that true
1: well no <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think that's a reference to this idea that the original assassins were a group of murderous hash eaters right they were sort of these kind of drugged up master assassins with this kind of oriental tinge but i'm pretty sure that's a folk etymology (coughs) Uh, although it does appear to come from arabic and i think it's related to the arabic word for foundation or fundament like you might call it fundamentalist it's assassine so no hash needed just ass ass already in the arabic (laughs)
0: double ass wow (laughs) that is inspirational so that's inspired another thought in me, talking about Hash. Could we drug Pyrrhus Margon? Is there any assassination plots that involve drugging or poisoning that you can think of?
2: Definitely some, some poisons in the ancient world. Um, there's one theory that suggests that our our friend Alexander the Great was poisoned, Um because he died after after 12 days of illness when he was only 32. So there's, you know, and he was a very powerful man with with enemies who had something to gain. Um, so poison has been suggested, but actually this might be another immediate against the law. Most historians think he probably wasn't poisoned um, because of the 12 days between the onset of his illness and his death, because poisons acted fast, uh, you know, killing you within um, a few hours or, or at most a couple of days. So, possible a sort of a sort of you know light tapping of the against the law gavel
3: we also have uh, the emperor claudius now again this is a rumor we'll never know for sure but uh, the rumor is that his wife agrippina tried to poison him with mushrooms but then he threw up the mushrooms and so she bribed the doctor to poison him with a poison tipped feather I feel like
0: every, every child feels like their mother tries to poison them with mushrooms. My mother got around it by blending them up <laughs> and putting it in pasta sauce, but I could tell it was their mum. <laughs> I knew they were there, those horrible slimy grey things.
2: <laughs> yeah, are we sure he didn't just have like reasonable, yeah, objection to the texture? <laughs> it was broccoli for me as a child. That would be how my mum poisoned
0: me. Here you go, Claudius, here's your little trees. Eat your little trees, Claudius. For the last time, Agrippina, I don't want to eat veg.
3: Wait, so why, why did she murder him? Uh, because she wanted her son, Nero, to get the throne. In fact, that whole family is just a horrible, horrible series of assassinations. Possibly Nero and Agrippina conspired to kill Claudius's uh, legitimate son, Britannicus, who's, who was named after the um, Claudius's conquest of Britain. So he died at a dinner party. It's kind of convulsing. Some people said it was just a, a terrible, sad accident or that he joked on a grape. But I think uh, it, it's given the threat that he posed to Agrippina and Nero, it's highly likely that they had him got rid of. Um, so then they also potentially killed Claudius. And then, that wasn't enough for Nero, he then killed Agrippina herself. He um, managed to botch one assassination. He tried to, he got this boat built. So she she had a holiday home in Baye, which was a very popular place for wealthy Romans and the imperial family to have holiday homes. So she went down there for a little break um, and Nero gifted her this wonderful pleasure boat and she was gonna take a little turn around the bay on this boat, but it was designed to collapse on her. Trouble is, she survived and instead, her maid tried to save herself by um, by saying that she was Agrippina, and she got beaten to death by the oarsmen. What? <laughs> I know. Well, th- that just shows that Nero had told them that that they should kill. They should make sure that Agrippina was dead. And Agrippina, she's she is such a resilient woman. <laughs> she swam to shore and um, sort of convalesced a bit at, at back at her, her house. So Nero decided to abandon all subtlety and just sent full-on like, hitmen to go and kill her. And uh, they just stabbed her to death in her house. Dang. I really like the idea that Agrippina's
0: just watched these oarsmen beat her maid to death. And they've gone, and who are you? And she's gone oh, call blimey governor, my name's Benedicta. <laughs> I'm just a lowly maid. I'm just going to go for a swim. And just pops off to uh only be stabbed later. So their family reunions must have been quite awkward over the years and get more sparse as time goes on. And I mean, you'd, you'd imagine, you know, dinners would be a little bit awkward. You'd be staring at each other across the table going, which one of you... Sons of a gun is gonna <laughs> is gonna get me, and <laughs> who can I get first? Um, and this is quite pertinent, actually, and quite sadly, because I've got confession, guys. Pyrrhus Margon is actually my father. Oh my god! Whoa! I'm afraid so. Flood. I know, I know. But listen, I was. We're going to promote patricide. Patricide is that the word for it? I'm, I'm presuming from from the sort of the word. Patro, patros, for dad, like pater familias. What's
3: that from? Exactly, yeah. So it's both Greek and Latin, isn't it? Pater is Latin.
0: Okay, I'm learning, guys. <laughs> so let's 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 rule out poisoning for the time being. I, I'm inspired by this story of familial killing because, as you now know, Pyrrhus Margon is my father. Um, have we got any tales from the ancient world about killing someone in the family that I could draw inspiration from obviously mushrooms maybe not because he'll puke them up
1: I um I think there's a good one from the ancient Near East possibly the most high profile assassination in ancient Near Eastern history in which the neo-Assyrian king Sennacherib was killed by his son in 681 BC because they can't really tell which son did it because he had loads
0: See, that's the risk, isn't it? The more children you have, the more chance that one of them is going to turn on you. What was the motive?
1: Well, that's absolutely part of it. The problem was that he had so many sons and his chosen heir, Esahaddon, who later became king of Assyria as well, was not his first son, uh, nor the one who thought he was going to be king. And so his other sons began plotting against him and Esahaddon had been sent away from um, Assyria at the time. So he was protected in a way. And his sons decided to act and and kill Sennacherib instead. And this was so impactful in the ancient Near East that it's mentioned in the Bible. Uh, it's in two kings. And they actually name drop two of his sons um, who killed him there. Uh, but it's still very difficult to work out from the Assyrian royal documents exactly who did it. So this, the, the named heir was safe. He'd been sent away. So they killed the dad and tried to seize the throne instead.
0: So do we know the method by which he was killed?
1: No, unfortunately well, not.
0: I'm going to rule that one out because I don't know the methodology. I know the motive is there, but any other patricide or familial murders that happened? I'm just trying to gain tips here. Come on.
2: I've got a murder, an assassination that's it's not technically a, a child killing their father, but it's it's very much in the family, um, if okay. you're to hear it. I d- always... So the preface to this story is you're just going to have to bear with me because there's about two names. Everyone in this story has the same name. Um, And it's it's a building on Alexander the Great. So this is the story of how Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon, was assassinated. Um, So just just hear me out. Stick with me. Philip II uh, has a daughter called Cleopatra. Not the one. Not the famous one. And a son called Alexander. Yes, the famous one. Um, but Philip has also just got remarried to a woman called Cleopatra. Again, not the famous one. And Philip's daughter, Cleopatra, is now marrying a man called Alexander. Not Alexander the Great. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you with me thus far?
0: <laughs> I mean, I come from a long line of Welsh people. So everyone's John, Yohan, or... Daniel Daniels. So it's fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm with it already. Okay, perfect. So basically,
2: the, the key information here is that Cleopatra and Alexander are getting married. Um, this is Philip's daughter's wedding. He's excited. His son Alexander is going to be there. It's a great time for him. He's, he's got loads of power, loads of control. He's, you know, conquered a lot of Macedon, a lot of Greece. Um, and he's thinking about invading the Persian Empire. But in October, 336 BC... He is about to step into his daughter Cleopatra's wedding to a different guy called Alexander, who's also her uncle, but we won't go into that. And he is stabbed between the ribs by his bodyguard, Pausanias. Oh.
1: Dun, dun, dun.
2: Yeah. Between the ribs, that's lethal. Yeah. Oh, absolutely lethal. Um, We, d- we have no idea why Pausanias did this. There's various explanations the only contemporary account is from aristotle which is a pretty good person to have for your only contemporary account but he just sort of vaguely says that pausanias had been offended by philip's friends but i don't think that really makes sense if you were someone's bodyguard and their friends were a bit of a dick to you you wouldn't stab them to death probably it depends it depends there's a there's a later account from about 50 years afterwards so less reliable but more specific that says that pausanias and philip were not just bodyguard and employer but lovers
0: oh <laughs> um i know
2: what a story do you remember that drama the bodyguard it, it was like that they with the home secretary they fell in oh, love and there's Whitney Houston
1: yeah i thought you were talking about that's the bodyguard right
2: <laughs> no i was talking about the <laughs> <And> <laughs>
0: that's I... a different one. <laughs>
2: So many. Oh my god! Yeah. So Pausanias and Philip were lovers, um, but Philip had apparently recently left Pausanias for a different man
0: who was also called Pausanias. I mean, that's gotta hurt, right? Why? Have, why has everyone got the same name as each other? This is very frustrating and annoying. It's it's an
2: incredibly confusing. I've in my notes, I've given everyone like little ones and twos by their names. There's actually like a third Alexander who could come into play if we want to go into detail, but we probably won't just to not confuse things.
0: Meg, I'm already stressed out. I'm stressed out enough.
2: Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll leave, we'll leave it there.
0: It might've been
2: a lover's tiff or it might've been political. Um. So there are some theories in the ancient world and, you know, it's still considered in the modern world that uh, Alexander the Great actually killed his own father or got Pausanias to commit this crime, but that he was somehow involved.
1: Dun, dun, dun. I know.
2: So that might be an option for you, Flo. Get if, if, pyrrhus morgon has a bodyguard. Get the bodyguard to commit the crime.
0: Easy access. I think he he does have he so he does have bodyguards. I what this has got me thinking of is that's quite a gruesome death to be stabbed in between the ribs versus say a poisoning which is quite light-hearted jovial sort of weekend activity. Um I was thinking earlier I was inspired a little by by what Zenya was saying earlier actually. Um, and Zenny, you were telling us a little bit about Britannicus and how how he was killed quite quite shockingly, and uh, and, and he was poisoned at a, a dinner, wasn't he? And that reminded me. Spoiler alert for Game of Thrones. Skip ahead ten to fifteen seconds of Joffrey's death at the wedding dinner party. And I was wondering if we have any other Game of Thrones esque, really awful assassination plots that I could copy? if You know, if I'm feeling a little bit bloodthirsty, a little bit gory.
3: Well, funnily enough, Game of Thrones copied quite a lot of deaths from the ancient world. Um, So we have a couple of deaths. Now, these aren't technically assassinations, because both of these people got captured by um, Rome's greatest enemy at the time. So one of these guys is called Marcus Licinius Crassus. He was one of the richest men in the whole of the ancient world, pretty much. And he decided it would be a good idea to campaign against Parthia. Now, Rome has famously had a very on-off relationship, should we say, with Parthia. Like it's the ultimate enemy for them, but also the ultimate kind of unattainable uh, land of conquest. They just they just could not handle an enemy like Parthia. And they'd they conquered so many other places, but Parthia was incredibly well-organized, incredibly powerful, incredibly wealthy. So it was always a bad idea to invade Parthia, is basically what I'm saying. But uh, Crassus decided to do it anyway. He was captured. And there are two versions of what might have happened to him. Either he was force-fed molten gold, which sounds a bit like um, the death of Viserys. Um, but others say that he was he had his head chopped off and used in a production of a Greek tragedy called the Bacchae.
2: <gasps> wow, he's
3: turned into a piece of... He's turned into a prop. Prop, that's the word. <laughs> Which I always think is kind of amazing, though, because it means that the Parthians were using Greek culture as their touchstone, and they mm. thought that would be a really fun way to humiliate the Romans, was by using it in a Greek play. And I just think that's fascinating. It tells us about the influence of Greek culture, um, even in a, in a different empire. That's really cool.
2: Who was it who got their head chopped off and then, like, pins, stuck pins in their tongue? Oh,
3: that was Cicero.
2: Oh, Because I feel like Pyrrhus might be a prime candidate for that kind of activity.
0: <laughs> I've got a fun modern-day fact, if you want it. The chap whose head was used as a prop in a play mirrors a very, very recent occurrence. In 2008, uh, a musician called Andrei Tchaikovsky, or Tchaikovsky willed his skull to be left uh, to be used in a production of Hamlet. So David Tennant's Hamlet, on stage, had a real skull, and that was Andrei's skull. In the in the, Alas, poor Yorick scene, hummus, I shall think of him. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Wow, that's quite cool. It's a bit icky for me, personally, but I don't think if I was playing Hamlet, I would want a real skull.
0: Speaking of dying with an audience, um, the person that springs to mind for me here is Julius Caesar, because didn't he die amongst a large group of senators?
3: Yeah, well, they were the ones killing him. I have to say stabbing is a very, very common method of assassination in the Roman world like pretty much all of all of my examples involve stabbing Um, Julius Caesar was murdered by about 40 different senators but um, it's thought that actually only one or two of the wounds on his body were the ones that killed him most of them were just kind of little little scratches so you can imagine everyone kind of crowding around just trying to get a look in with their knives um it's quite horrible actually when you think about it that way but yeah so he died famously on the ides of march which is the 15th of march um you can actually still visit the place where he died it wasn't in the senate it was in a place called the theater of pompey which was where the um senate meeting had been moved to for that particular day um but it's now a cat sanctuary In Rome. (laughs) So you can go there, you can see all these ancient ruins and there are just cats everywhere, it's really fun. The leader of the assassination group was a guy called Brutus and this is just incredibly sort of poetically perfect because Brutus was the direct descendant of another man called Brutus who had nearly 500 years before had expelled the last king of Rome, who has the fabulous name of Tarquinius Superbus. Um, And the reason why they were assassinating Julius Caesar was because they felt he was becoming too much like a king.
0: (gasps) Oh, that is poetic. Can Can I hark back to a previous episode of Against the Law where you told me the real origin of the word superb and how it isn't actually as great as you'd think it is can you remind me what that is -hmm.
2: it means proud i'd be proud if my name was tarquin (laughs) (laughs) i I think he's completely within his rights
3: yeah if you're enjoying the podcast please consider supporting us on patreon you can become a bacchanalian backer or a babylonian bell ringer and you'll get each episode a day early as well as a host of other benefits Support us for as little as two pounds a month.
0: Okay, so we've got lots of stabbings. That is, that's you know, that's quite quite a lot of. Um... I have
3: a strangling for you, if you like. I'd love, I'd love a strangling. Okay, so uh, the Emperor Commodus is famously in Gladiator, but um, just FYI, nothing in Gladiator actually happened. Um, except for the fact that Commodus was Marcus Aurelius' son and was a bit obsessed with uh, with gladiator games. Um, and as such, he had a wrestling partner called Narcissus, who kind of regularly uh, train with him. But Narcissus was then bribed or persuaded by people who thought that Commodus was going a bit too far and lots of other things. Uh, he was bribed to strangle him. Um, But yeah, so if uh, Pyrrhus Margon has a personal trainer or something similar, maybe uh, maybe bribe them to kill him. Narcissus sounds a bit full of himself, if you ask me.
0: (laughs) Interesting, my father is a narcissist, so that does strike a chord with me.
2: So, so far we've had, like, various family members, bodyguard and wrestling partner as the actual murderers, like. Is no one safe? That is it's quite unnerving when you think about it like that.
1: I would argue that truly no one is safe, even to more obscure connections and people that might surround you.
0: Go on, Barney.
1: So we've talked about being killed by sons and wrestling partners and various other relations, but what if I told you that an ancient Mesopotamian king was killed by his scribes?
2: <gasps> wow, I love that. Tell us everything.
1: Yeah, so it's a small comment about the death of Remush, who's the successor of Sargon the Great, who we've talked about a few times. Sargon the Great being the king, the first king of the uh, old Akkadian Empire, one of the first empires in world history. And it's mentioned that uh, Remush was killed by his servants' tablets or their cylinder seals.
0: So it's the equivalent of, of bashing your managers head in with a laptop
1: yeah i think there's something quite poetic about sort of using the tools by which the person might order you around against them
0: yes i think Marx would
2: like that
1: (laughs) the only thing we have to lose is our chains and then we should also use those chains as weapons
2: (laughs) absolutely two birds one stone that's what i say
1: (laughs) um but yeah, so it's it's kind of, it's unclear because there's, there's multiple synonyms for the word, um, for the writing implement that they use. But if it was a tablet, then they'd be bashed with a clay tablet. Or if it was a cylinder seal, I mean, these cylinder seals are quite small. Um, they're like only a few inches long. So you'd really have to take a proper pelting with them to, I think, actually end up killing somebody. But yeah, there you go. Death by scribe. Murdered by nerds.
2: The pen is stronger than the sword. Ooh. Do we know why they did it?
1: No, sorry. It's a, bit of a, um, it's a bit of a theme in a lot of these ancient Near Eastern deaths that um, often the motives are obscure.
2: Okay, so we have the weapon, but not we can't finish Cluedo yet.
1: Exactly. So if I'm trying to help, you know, Flo's not looking for an alibi here, really. She's just looking for, for a weapon of destruction or a means.
0: Yeah, Flo, are you prepared to, are you prepared to go down for this crime? Uh, listen, I had not thought that far ahead, if I'm completely honest. Um, <laughs> and actually, remembering the topics we discussed during our uh, crime episode of the podcast, I'm not sure if I'm quite willing to be the one who faces the music there, or the firing squad. Oh, but you know what? Based on Barney's just recent example,
2: do you remember the story, or not the story, do you remember the fact, the straight facts that I told you about how in... Um, Athens, in ancient Athens, an inanimate an object can be tried for murder if you don't know who committed the crime. They still need to cleanse the city of the pollution that the murder has, has sort of unleashed into the city. Um, so they could try an animal object. So the, the Barney scribes could get get off with it scot free and have the actual implements tried in the Britannion, the court of the Britannion. Okay, so I better not strangle then.
3: Yeah, stranglings out, but you could still stab them and then be like, is this a dagger that I see before me? And just pretend it's a dagger all by itself. Nice. I was just possessed by some some force
0: to, to release my miasma. My I'm I'm often possessed by a force to release a miasma. <laughs> was the force a big dinner? <laughs> it yeah, actually. It was the mushrooms.
1: Xenia <laughs> made a distinction earlier between assassinations and just like an execution or a, a murder, right? Mm. Um, and there's one that I cannot claim to be an assassination that I have as an example, but Meg just has given me the perfect opportunity to render it as such if we were to blame the inanimate object involved.
2: Fantastic, bring it on.
1: Because I think this, is, this might end up being a pretty good way to get to your old uh, Pyrrhus Margon. So this is a little known king, from the old Babylonian period, which makes him a contemporary of Hammurabi, of the famous law code. And he was King Ere-Imiti of Isin. And he was a paranoid man. Lots of deaths around in the ancient Near East, as we've heard from unsuspecting members of society like scribes. And when he heard there was a bad omen, he did what every good Mesopotamian king did and committed the substitution ritual. Do we remember this?
0: Recap for us. (laughs) I remember this, yeah.
1: So the substitute king ritual is where uh, if a king perceives there to be a bad omen, he briefly vacates the throne and swaps his position with someone of low birth, a farmer, a gardener, something like that, and they become king for a little while. And the idea being that if the ill omen is aimed at the king, it would kill the substitute instead of killing the actual ruler.
2: Mm, It's a classic sitcom plot. (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly anyway so this era does his substitute king ritual and he puts a gardener on the phone, and the gardener's ruling but era makes the mistake of staying within the palace when he should have gone elsewhere and this was probably his downfall because before the time of the substitute king ritual was over era was dead by hot porridge what <laughs> what a way to go <laughs> How? (laughs) In classic Mesopotamian style, (laughs) there's death mentioned with no elaboration, just that he died whilst eating hot porridge.
2: (laughs) So did the hot porridge actually do it, or was it just
1: Well, by Greek standards, (laughs) I'm sure the porridge (laughs) could be blamed. There's certainly no sense of poison or anything like that, although again, there's no there's no elaboration whatsoever. So I like to think that the porridge was way too hot. (laughs)
2: or maybe you know when porridge you leave it a bit and it goes all like gloopy maybe
0: you know maybe it stuck together in that horrible way that it does he choked on it
1: just the nastiest
0: porridge ever i could posit another theory for you there was a king adolf frederick of sweden who died in 1771 and he was known he was known as the king who ate himself to death he ate a huge amount of semla pastries and hot milk and and the pastries go in the hot milk. Um, so, I mean, he could have just eaten himself to death. I could see my father doing that, to be quite honest.
1: Semlers are very, very good. I would eat myself to death on semblers. So.
0: <laughs> Can confirm. That's a strong contender.
1: But do you think you could porridge your pyrrhus to death, Flo?
0: I could porridge a pyrrhus. Perfectly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Throw some porridge right at his face. That might work.
0: Could possibly. Could possibly throw some porridge at Paris. (laughs) I could. My father has grandiose ideas. He thinks of himself as a king. And, you know, we've talked about killing important people. Have we got any tyrannical specific? No, yeah, I I can offer you a tyrant. So hit the nail on the
2: head there, metaphorically. Should preface that by saying, in Greek terms, a tyrant is slightly different to how we use the word. It means someone who took power by force. Um, rather than by like succession or you know election, um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a method of of government. Um, but it you know it means it means someone who took power by force. Um, and before the Greeks had democracy, they had tyrants, and one of those tyrants was called Hipparchus, and he was assassinated in an incredibly iconic way by two absolute stone cold legends, um, Harmodius and Aristogiton, and they are just some of my favorite people ever so they were lovers um and there's potentially a jilted lover situation as we had before so the tyrant Hipparchus potentially tried to seduce one of them um Harmodius uh, and Harmodius rejected him and then the tyrant Hipparchus got really angry and brought shame upon Harmodius' sister by claiming that she wasn't a virgin, so there's, there's, there's personal difficulties between Harmodius and Hipparchus um, but he then says, okay, I've had enough of this, this guy is he's a tyrant, he's disrespected my sister he's the tyrant of Athens, I'm going to get my, my lover, my boyfriend, Aristogaton and we are going to murder him and we're also going to murder his brother Hippias who was also a tyrant of Athens, they were sort of leading together um And they just did it in such a cool way. I think they smuggled daggers. So we've got another stabbing. They smuggled daggers into the Pan-Athenaic Festival. And the way they smuggled them in was apparently in the laurel wreaths that they were taking in to be presented at the festival. So, you know, we've all tried to sneak things into festival, but have you ever snuck in a dagger in a laurel wreath? I think that's so cool. Um, And they managed it. They killed Hipparchus. Um, They didn't manage to kill Hippias, Hipparchus's brother, but... After the assassination of Hipparchus, Hippias became increasingly tyrannical in the sense that we would use the word. Everyone hated him. He got overthrown. And then Greek democracy prevails. So that is a historical assassination that genuinely massively could have changed the course of history. Toot. Woop woop. I love them.
1: And also, if if we successfully uh, assassinate Pyrrhus Margan... <laughs> then we will also change the course of history and preserve future democracy.
0: Oh, so That's true. That's true. That is true. I hadn't thought about it that way. Clearing the way for me to become a broadcaster of philosophical ideas of my very own. I think you'd do a great job. Thank you. I think so too. Anyway, listen, guys, I, there's a lot for me to take in. Um, there's a lot of different methods here. Uh, and we all have our motives, don't we? But I... I'd like to ask uh, each of you to decide on your selected method of killing Pyrrhus Margon. Zenya, uh, I'm going to start with you. Please, could you tell me your preferred method?
3: Oh, I'm so glad you started with me because now I can say porridge. Oh, I was going to say <laughs> porridge.
1: The porridge thief.
3: Um, my option B was going to be just that, that very efficient stab to the ribs. Those were good good methods. Barney, since you were
0: the porridge story bringer, what would your method of choice be?
1: I would definitely go for the laurel reef smuggling. I think that's excellent. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Thinking of things smuggled into festivals in the past. Maybe if I didn't have a laurel reef to hand, I might use a jar of peanut butter and I'll leave that there.
0: That would immediately kill me since I cannot eat peanuts. So that would be a double whammy of effective assassination. Wait a minute.
1: And you are related to... Um Pyrrhus Margon, so it, it could do him in as well.
0: Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. Well, something to consider. Meg, <laughs> your favourite method. I, I really loved um the story about the
2: who was it, the guy whose head gets chopped off and then it used as a prop? That I think is fantastic. Ah uh, yeah. Marcus Licinius Crassus. Crassus, yeah. I mean, I think I also think that would be quite appropriate for the for the object of our assassination. I so think he
0: would take a certain a certain pride in knowing that in his afterlife he was being used in such a way. I think he'd quite like that. And for that reason, I'm ruling it out because he doesn't deserve things that he wants. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good call, good call. I'm going off piste. I've, uh, while this podcast has been going on, I sent a uh, messenger to Nero's oarsmen and they've agreed for a small sum to bash in Pyrrhus Margon with their oars. I've told them... That Pyrrhus Margon is actually Agrippina in disguise, and they've agreed that uh, they will be they will be bashing him in.
2: Was there just some bashing going on in in the background,
0: Flo? Did we just hear an assassination? Uh, no comment. Anyway, so now we've got that sorted, um, I can rest easy tonight uh, in my bed, knowing that Pyrrhus Margon will be no more. Anyway, thanks for joining us. Um, If anybody listening breathes a word of this episode to anybody, I know where you live. I have oarsmen at my disposal. I've got mushrooms at my disposal. And I've got a vast quantity of hot porridge. You're not to tell anyone about my plan. But do tell your friends and your family about Against the Law, the ancient history podcast that aims to separate facts from fiction. And you can join us next time for more of the same.